0: Uh, The musical My Fair Lady uh, tells the story of Eliza Doolittle, a poor flower girl in London with a deep Cockney accent. She dreams of working in a flower shop someday, but she knows that she doesn't have the language, so she falls into the tutelage of Professor Henry Higgins, who is a phonetician. Higgins accepts the challenge of teaching Eliza how to speak like a proper English woman. Now the experiment turns out to be exhausting for everybody, and all parties nearly give up. Eliza has never spoken properly, and her manners and her accent are all very deeply embedded. But with Higgins' discipline, her own determination, she slowly makes progress, and eventually she is passed off as a British gal. It can be hard to learn how to speak proper English when you spent your whole life speaking cockney. Of course, I'm not sure what proper English is anymore. Does anybody even speak proper English? But regardless of that, if it's hard for the cockneyed to speak proper English, I can think of an even greater challenge. How much more difficult is it for sinners to learn to talk like Christians? How much more challenging is it for foul-mouthed, unkind, gossipy, lazy blokes, people like us? To learn to talk like Jesus. How much more difficult, but oh, how much more important. For as we learn from the book of James and the New Testament, it's not enough to call yourself a Christian. It's not even enough to look like a Christian. You got to talk like one. We've been studying the book of James here at Rooftop in our fall series. The series is called Wise Guy. Uh, Because the book is filled with lots of wisdom on how to live righteous lives. James isn't really a theological book. It's a very practical book, and its purpose is to help we who claim to be Christians look like Christians. To be a Christian means, for example, to avoid sin. It means to care for widows and orphans. It means to eschew favoritism and, and, and the love of money. But to be a Christian also means to talk like Jesus. I know this kind of goes against what we think. Talk is cheap, we say. It's more important that you walk the walk, we say. But that's not enough. Christians gotta talk like Christ. Let's look at our passage for the morning and you'll see what I mean. Let me go ahead and read to you James chapter three, verses one through 12. Not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is a very important passage in which James focuses in on the importance of speech and the life of a Christian, This theme actually appears throughout the entire book of James. We've already run into it a couple times. Already in chapter 1, James has written, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I personally consider this the most disobeyed verse in the New Testament. And he also offers what might be a theme on this very topic at the very end of chapter 1. He says this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. They deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Whoa! We need to read that again. Those who consider themselves religious, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Worthless. Quick show of hands. Do you consider yourself religious? Religious? Do you consider yourself, you don't have to consider yourself religious to be in church, but do you consider yourself religious? Do you consider yourself okay? So like, there's ten religious people here this morning. That's fine. Okay. If you consider yourself, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Do you consider yourself religious? Do you keep a tight rein on your tongues? James has just called you a non-Christian. You know what happens to non-Christians at the end of their lives? This is a big. This should terrify us. But this is James's very point. It's not enough to say you're a Christian. It's not enough to act like a Christian. You've got to talk the way Jesus talked. So much of our faith comes out of our mouths. So much of our lives is reflected by what comes out of our pie holes. But let's dive into the passage. You'll see what I mean. Uh, here in this section, I see four different thoughts that I want to draw your attention to. And these four thoughts are designed to take us, help us take more seriously the challenge of speaking like Jesus. Here are the four thoughts. According to James, the tongue dominates. The tongue is dangerous. The tongue is difficult. And the tongue is duplicitous. First, the tongue dominates. As he says in verse 2, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boosts. James's point here, is that the tongue is central to who we are. If you can control your tongue, you can control your whole self. The tongue dominates like that. Even though it's a relatively small muscle, like a rudder, like a bit, it controls our whole self. Now, obviously, James is exaggerating a bit here. The tongue is just a muscle, right? Just a little muscle. Now, to be sure, it's a very impressive muscle. I don't know if you've really appreciated the the, the muscle that is the tongue. But the the tongue is actually a combination of eight muscles. It's a muscle matrix, what they call a muscular hydrostat. Uh, It's one of the only muscles, it is the only muscle in the human body that operates apart from the skeletal structure, kind of like an elephant's snout. Wikipedia has lots of fascinating things about the human tongue on its page. The average length of the human tongue, about three inches. But the current world record holder for the longest tongue is a student in Praveen, 20-year-old in India. His tongue measures over four inches long. Look at that tongue. He can actually, Praveen can actually, I saw a video of this. It's fascinating. He can touch his elbow with his tongue. You must do that? Want to try? Take I see a few. Greg Cook is trying it up here. Can't be done, except by Praveen. Anyway, the tongue is just a muscle We don't have tongue problems, right? We have heart problems, we have mind problems, we have soul problems. Even Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So James is just using the tongue as a symbol for what it represents. It represents the part of us that expresses ourselves to the world. His point here, though, is that if we can get control of the part of us that expresses ourselves to the world, we can control all of us. It's that central to who we are. The tongue dominates. Having said that, the tongue is dangerous. James goes on. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So yeah, the tongue is small, but it can wreak havoc like a small spark can start a forest fire. The tongue can unleash a forest fire of destruction. We all know this. We all know how a single unkind word can destroy a friendship, right? Right? We know how a little bit of gossip can destroy a career. Satan knows that if he wants to ruin us, he has a ready tool available for his disposal in our tongues. I mean, if there's a part of our bodies that's going to get us into trouble, it's our mouths, right? It's not our left kneecap, not our eyebrows. It's our mouths. I have a long, long list of regrets in my life, right? I haven't murdered anybody, but I've made plenty of mistakes. And for the most part, these regrets involve me saying the wrong thing or saying the right thing in the wrong way at the wrong time. I spoke when I should have been silent. I said angry words when I should have said peaceful ones. And yes, God forgives. We're going to talk about that in a second. But there are some things you can't take back, right? Once those words are out there in the world, they're out there in the world setting forests aflame. You can't take those things back. Whenever I'm watching a, a legal drama or something, or even just like an actual trial, and you know, a lawyer gets up and says, ask a question, blah, 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 an inflammatory question or something, and the other lawyer says, oh, I object. And, and the judge intervenes and says, the jury will disregard that question. I'm like, okay, yeah, right. It's out there. It got said. The tongue is dangerous. Also, the tongue is difficult. Says James, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Earlier, James said that if a person can control their tongue, he can control their life. But he's speaking theoretically there. Here he clarifies, no one can do that. Nobody can control their tongue. It's that difficult. It cannot be tamed. Why not? Because we're sinners at the deepest level. We're alienated from God's will at the deepest level of our existence. We prefer sin, and it just kind of comes out of us at the most inopportune time, no matter how hard we try. I have learned this. I have learned this repeatedly. For example, some of you know about this, but I actually have a sticky note on the wall of my office and it's labeled, things not to joke about. (laughs) Here it is, for example. It's in my Bible this morning. Things not to joke about include physical appearance, race, gender, sexuality, personal history. Now, why would I need this list? Well, it's just preventative, you know, just as a reminder, things not to joke about. That's just preventative, right? No. I put this list together after making one too many bad choices about things I thought were funny. I'm a nervous, insecure guy. I use humor to make myself feel more comfortable, but in my insecurities, I forget about other people's feelings, and I make jokes about things that might be funny, but also might not be funny. What's interesting about this list is that I've actually had to go back and like add things to it over the years. In different ink, like in the margins? Other things not to joke about apparently include prayer requests, marital status, medical conditions, pregnancy, personal hygiene. What did I say? (laughs) What did I say that made me need to write a note in my office reminding me not to make fun of personal hygiene? I have no idea, but I have no doubt I said it. Some of you might be judging me again right now. This is what happens when Pastor Mac gets a little too honest. But just as a reminder, God is now judging all of us. None of us can control our speech. I joke too easily. What do you do? Are you mean to your kids? Have you been rude to your spouse? Maybe you're terrible at conversation. You gossip about other people. Call it a prayer request. Be praying for this person. You cuss like a sailor. You exaggerate to your boss and coworkers to avoid looking bad. You spread a rumor that might not be true merely because it's juicy and it makes you look like you know things. You say stereotypical things about people you don't know. Why? Because you're a sinner like me. As James says in the beginning of the passage, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Don't do it. Don't become a preacher. Don't become a teacher. Why? Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why will teachers be judged more strictly? Because we use our mouths for a living. Preachers, leaders, teachers, but everybody uses their mouths. Moms, doctors, police officers, accountants, you. And everybody who uses their mouths will be judged because our mouths reveal the terrible depths of our sin. The tongue is difficult. And lastly, the tongue is duplicitous. In verse 9, James writes, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is just restating here Another way that our tongues get us into trouble. Our tongues are duplicitous. Uh, With our tongues, we praise God and we turn around to curse others. The imagery that James uses here might be that of a forked tongue. Do you know what a forked tongue is? It's one tongue that looks like two tongues. Snakes have forked tongues. The image goes all the way back to where? Garden of Eden. When Satan appeared to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent told them that they could eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told them they wouldn't die knowing that they would. He spoke with a forked tongue. We all speak with forked tongues. We say one thing, we mean another. I mean, we all just sang some glorious praise songs to God a minute ago, like five minutes ago, didn't we? Five minutes ago, we stood here and just sang our hearts out to God. What did we sing? Here's one of the lyrics we sang. He's been faithful and kind. His mercies are new. It's time to worship. We sang that song five minutes ago. God has it on record. It's time to worship. What are we going to do? I don't know, later today. Later this moment. Later this week. What are we going to do? I don't know. We're going to complain to God. We're going to mutter under our breath against a coworker. We're going to spread a rumor. We're going to do that with the same mouth We used to praise God. My brothers and sisters, James says, this should not be. Can a stream produce both salt water and fresh water? We find a way, but we shouldn't. Our tongues reveal our duplicity. So that's what James says. The tongue dominates who we are. The tongue is dangerous in what it does. The tongue is difficult to control. The tongue is duplicitous, exposing our own hypocrisy. And if we don't have a tight rein on our tongue, even if we claim to be religious, our religion is worthless. That's what James says. Praise God, hallelujah, that's your sermon for the morning. See you next week. No. <laughs> that would be a terrible place to end the sermon. <laughs> but it does raise a question. Given all this, what do we do? What can we possibly do? That's a big question. I mean, what do we do? Honestly, this passage here in James, it's, it seems a bit like hopeless. What does James say here? No human being can control the tongue. That's not optimistic. It's, honestly, it's one of the problems uh, and the challenges of studying the book of James in general. James gives us a lot of very hard things to do and a lot of big threats of what might happen if we don't do them. It's kind of James. There's a lot of things to do. Do them or else. But there is hope here in the book of James. He wouldn't give us instruction on how to live our lives if he didn't believe obedience was possible. And you need to know, on this matter in particular, that change is possible, even with something essential to our existence as what comes out of our mouths. I mean, I could testify that change is possible. I don't say nearly, nearly as many stupid things as I used to, praise Jesus. <laughs> I haven't had to refer to my sticky note in a long time, but I keep it there in case I'm more kind more conversational more bold than I was years ago don't get me wrong I'm still an absolutely terrible sinner in what comes out of my mouth but maybe slightly a little bit teensy teensy weensy bit less terrible how did that happen lots of time with professor Higgins the rain in Spain stays mainly on the pl- lots of time with Jesus working that over Ask, and it will be given to you. No, that's not how change happens. So how does change happen? Well, in my experience, and as I read the Bible, I think true lasting change happens in people as God unleashes four transformational forces in our lives. Change happens as a result of the Father's forgiveness. Change happens as a result of the Son's example Change happens as a result of the Spirit's power, and change happens as a result of the church's help. The Father's forgiveness, the Son's example, the Spirit's power, the church's help. And in order for us to learn to talk like Jesus, we're going to need every single one of those forces, because like James says, our words go deep. Our words reveal the very essence of who we are So this can't just be surface level change. We've got to change at the deepest part of who we are. In order to change at the deepest part of who we are, we need every single spiritual force that God can muster on our behalf. So let's talk about each of these real briefly with respect to what comes out of our mouths. How are you and I going to learn to talk like Christ? First, you need the Father's forgiveness. We learn to talk like Christ as we experience the power of grace in our lives. As Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins. And get this, every slander they utter. People can be forgiven every slander they utter. There's almost nothing that can come out of your mouths that God can't forgive. You need to know that. I mean, think about, if you will, the worst thing that's ever come out of your mouths. I really don't mean to bring it up. But I have to in order for you to experience the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. What's the worst thing that's ever come out of your mouth? What is it? Is it that terrible thing that you said to your spouse that one day? Was it cursing God on a really bad day? Was it a racist or hateful comment that just came out of you? Was it a terrible rumor that turned out to be true that you just couldn't resist and pass along them? What's the worst thing that's ever come out of your mouth? I'll tell you what mine is. When I was in college, I let fly a string of angry comments to a college friend. To this day, I don't know where they came from. They just came out of, them, of me, though. They were there somewhere. That angry conversation destroyed a budding friendship. It was all my fault. And I still struggle with regret. But even though I start with regret, I know I'm forgiven. And God's grace motivates me to want to keep trying. Do you know that you've been forgiven? That absolutely terrible thing that came out of your mouth, that thing that you can't believe came out of your mouth, do you know that you're forgiven of it? Have you been forgiven of it? Have you been forgiven by God? Have you apologized for that? Have you apologized to God? Have you apologized to that person? Can there be forgiveness without apology? I don't think so. you've been baptized for forgiveness? This is where change starts. It starts with forgiveness. We learn to talk like Christ by the Father's forgiveness. If we can't be forgiven, then what's the point? I mean, we're just throwing more sins on top of a pile of sin. But if we can be forgiven, we have a chance. Right? We need the Father's forgiveness. Secondly, we need the Son's example. By ourselves, we don't know how to talk. We don't know how to use the mouths we've been given. But this is why Jesus came. He came to die for sin. But he also came to show us how to live, show us how to talk, came to show us how to talk to each other, came to show us how to talk with ourselves, came to show us how to talk to God. Jesus actually stood out from the crowd because of how he talked. In the Gospel of John, some people comment on it. No one has ever spoken the way this guy speaks. How did Jesus speak? Well, that's what we have to read the Bible to learn to understand. Do you read the Bible to learn how Jesus spoke? You should. It'll blow you away the way Jesus spoke. How did Jesus speak? Well, for example, Jesus was ruthlessly honest. He said things and you're like, Dang, no, he didn't. (laughs) He said it. We're all thinking it, and he said it. Jesus was incredibly expressive with his emotions, with his feelings. He was so sappy. We're like modern Americans, like, ew, syrup, Jesus. Come on. A little easy on that waffle. Jesus was quiet. When we would prefer he be loud, <laughs> Jesus would get into conversations and uh, you could tell Jesus is like, there's no point here. So I'm just gonna like stand here and say nothing. And we're like, come on, Jesus, get him, get him, get him. And Jesus turns to us on the page of the scripture. He's like, shut up. I know what I'm doing. You should try this sometime. Jesus was bold with strangers. Jesus would go up to strangers and have like the deepest conversation that that stranger will ever have in her life. You crossed a lot of boundaries. I know you have personal space here, but let's talk about like every part of you right now. In public. (laughs) In a way, we should be that. We should be all these things. Jesus came to show us how to live, how to talk. But we need his example. We need to know his example. We need to pay attention to his example. I hate to say this because it's so obvious, but we can't talk like Jesus talked unless we know how Jesus talked. We changed my son's example Father's forgiveness, thirdly, we change by Spirit's power. Learning to talk like Jesus takes more strength than what we have. This is not something we can do on our own. But this is why God gives us the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of God. This is bizarre and crazy and unbelievable to say. The Holy Spirit is the, the invisible presence of God in us. In us. Somehow when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, the presence of God entered us in order to give us strength to do the things that we cannot do on our own. And God is eager to give us guidance and power to do the things we cannot do on our own. And he knows that when it comes to our words, his power is necessary. The Bible promises that God can do this, though. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, writes to the Corinthians, says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the whom? Spirit. And as Jesus explains to his disciples, do not worry about what to say, just say whatever it's given you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit speaks. Spirit speaks through us. Our problem is that we don't give the Spirit enough of an opportunity to even guide our words. We just talk. We're like... Da, 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 and the Spirit's like inside of us, like... Eh. <laughs> All right, you just let me know when you want, like, me to jump in. Or we're terrified that the Holy Spirit might give us something difficult to say. We know in our heart of hearts that God wants to say things differently than we tend to say. So we just kind of keep the Spirit gagged in our hearts. Like, just... If we want the Spirit to help us know how to speak and engage, though, we have to care. A lot of times we just have to stop. I mean, it can be awkward in the middle of a conversation to just stop and think prayerfully about what to say next, but it is absolutely essential. Just stop. Hmm. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say next. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Changed by the Spirit's power. Lastly, we change by the church's help. The Father's forgiveness, Son's example, Spirit's power, Church's help. We are not on our own here either. We are a community of sinners and saints that are called to help each other talk more like Christ. And we are called to help each other in all sorts of ways. I mean, we have a lot that we can learn from each other, right? Even here in this community, uh, Steve Shragi, one of our elders, has a lot to teach us about reticence. Uh, Nathan Young, uh, one of our deacons here at Rooftop, has a lot to teach us about encouragement. Tenley Dame, one of our deacons, has a lot to teach us about words of wisdom. Cindy Mills, one of our members here at Rooftop, has a lot to teach us about words of kindness. We have a lot to learn from each other. We can support each other as we learn those things. And we can also hold each other more accountable to these expectations. In fact, that's something we need to do more of here. Hold each other more accountable for how our speech does or does not reflect Christ. These are hard things to talk about with each other, though. Trust me, I know. I'm your pastor. I get paid to say hard things to you, and I have a hard time saying them. I love all of you, but you do need to hear it from me that you don't always sound like Jesus would. You might not know it, but we all hear it. Some of you, for example, are so talkative. It just comes across as selfish, Some of you just complain and complain without making any effort to be constructive. Some of you seem to have no ability to say nice things. Some of you are locked up in your own fear and introversion. And you excuse yourself from having loving conversations with other people because I'm an introvert. That's not how that works. Some of you miss opportunities to express compassion to people who really need it. Some of you talk about the wrong things all the time. You talk about politics or vaccines or the latest Marvel TV show, all of which are very interesting, but none of which is the gospel. I don't say these things judgmentally. I'm part of this community. In fact, I know I set the standard. I take responsibility for how I set the bar. I know, for example, that rooftop is a very sarcastic place. Oh, why might that be? He asks sarcastically. (laughs) Because I set the bar. I know the rooftop can be a very critical place. Why is that? Because Pastor Matt can be very critical. Rooftop can be very beat around the bush place. We have a hard time saying hard things. Why is that? Because I do. I'm giving you permission to call me out. I want to talk more like Jesus. I need to talk more like Jesus. As a Christian, as your leader, I need to talk more like Jesus. I need your help to make me talk more like Jesus. But you do too. We all need to. Our mission requires it. Our calling as Christians is a show and tell thing. We need to show St. Louis who Christ is, what he cares about, but we also need to use our words. We need to tell the world about Jesus. We need to talk like Christians do with them, with each other. If we don't, what does James say? He is not exaggerating here. What does James say if we don't? Our religion is worthless. But it doesn't need to be. We can change, we can learn, we can grow but it's not going to happen by drilling or elocution exercises, it's going to happen by the powers of transformation that God has given us, the forgiveness of the Father the example of the Son, the power of the Spirit, and one another